0: You might want to keep your Bibles open, because as Brian finished there, that reading with the words, this is the word of the Lord, and that's what we're here to, to unpack uh, this morning. Keith's taken us through the first three, few chapters of Corinthians so far, and they're, they're a bit like an introduction, reasonably easy going. But we find as we go deeper into the life of the Christian Corinthian church through this letter things are not quite so easy not quite so easy going the church appeared to be getting all sorts of problems and at this point Keith clears off on his sabbatical Actually, last Sunday evening, he he left us uh, with a challenge. I'm not sure I'm quoting the, the words exactly correctly, but he said, where will you be when I return? Adding the last verse of chapter four, which we'd studied last Sunday evening. Shall I come to you with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? And it was said with a usual Keith glint in his eye. Where will you be? When I return, so he's left us to work through the the, the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians with different people each week, and uh, some of us will pick up good sections of Corinthians, and others a bit more difficult ones. Well, this morning we're into chapter five, and I'm sure you're already aware that Corinth was a sex-obsessed seaport. Everything happened at Corinth, and hardly any Corinthian convert would have been uncontaminated. By sexual immorality, of one kind or another, but we find in this chapter a particularly unpleasant case of sexual deviation. A man is living with his father's wife. A man has his father's uh, his stepmother, or perhaps uh, the wife of his his father. We don't know exactly. Uh, where it fitted but it was probably his stepmother and he was either married or had her as a concubine while his father was still alive. Now this was forbidden in the law of the Old Testament and is specifically mentioned in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In Leviticus it says, do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. Couldn't have been clearer than that. And the prohibition of this was taken over into the early church so what the situation was for the early church was that they'd got this problem what a story and newspapers especially the tabloids love to make a headline jump out don't they I I picked up the the telegraph this morning and was so encouraged that the headline says energy minister says her strong Christian faith can guide her to the top in politics and we've got these two people who are looking to go to the top in politics who are professing Christians and others who say they are. Well, headlines need to jump out. And if the tabloids can't find one, well, perhaps they usually make one up. But more often than not, the famous in our society supply quite enough fodder to feed their pages. But what if the headline read, Christian leader caught sleeping with stepmum. Or Christian church, a cesspool of sin. And that, in a sense, is what Paul had discovered about the church at Corinth. It shows how immature they really were and how important it is for us to remain vigilant against sin creeping into the church while being compassionate towards the sinner. It's so easy to move further and further and further away. From God's word and truth. The whole of chapter 5 is really summed up in the first two verses. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Paul states, It is actually reported. It's a term he doesn't usually use, but it essentially means people are saying. The idea is that this story of what happened in Corinth has become front page news on the supermarket tabloids. When Paul was in Tesco's Ephesus, he could have picked up a copy of the paper, the Greek World News, to read about his football team and how they were doing in the latest competition and saw the story of the Corinthian sexual scandal. And it wasn't a scandal. The problem was, was how the church were tolerant to these situations. And that was the amazing story. Of course, we have to be tolerant, we have to be caring, we have to be loving. But first of all, we have to be true. To scripture, And Paul actually seems, if anything, less bothered about the immorality itself than the blatant, arrogant attitude of the church towards it. And sadly, this can happen in the life of the church without us even noticing it. The first thing the Corinthians needed to see was the need for discipline because they apparently had rationalised the immorality so they did not see the need to take any action. Paul's first task was to get the church to see that the situation they were in was sinful, serious and should not be tolerated within God's church. Of course, the church knew that that the spiritual state of the church was such a low ebb that they had somehow reasoned away this man's sin so that they did not see the need to do anything about it. The sin wasn't secret. And Paul knew it was common knowledge. He found out in Ephesus. Even the residents of Corinth, who were deeply sinful in their acts, would find sleeping with the stepmother repulsive. It was, in other laws, forbidden. And it was in the Roman law. So what should they do? If we find ourselves in a situation where something's going on in the life of our church, what should we do? Well, we return to the scripture. We read, put out of your fellowship the man who did this. Hand over to Satan. Well, this doesn't literally mean that we hold some sort of special ceremony, handing someone over to Satan. To hand a person over to Satan simply means, in scriptural terms, to hand him over to the realms where Satan rules. And we know that Satan is the god of this world. So Paul is saying to them, remove someone from the church membership means to place somebody back in the world. And verse 4 makes it clear that this action should be taken when the whole church is assembled under the total authority of Jesus Christ. David Pryor, who wrote one of the books I was looking through when preparing for this, um, said that these days the church cannot cope with this. The church is not good at dealing with these situations and the church finds it much easier to say, we'll get a small group to deal with it. We'll put it to one side and get them to deal with it. And the need for individual discipline is best summarised in the phrase of verse 5. That the spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The person's ultimate salvation is the main objective. It seems hard at at the time, but the main objective is that the person may be saved. It's worth noting at this point, that Paul actually has nothing to say about the woman in question. It suggested that presumably this was because she was not a Christian and was therefore beyond the scope of the Christian discipline. And in verses 6 to 8, we can also see that the need for discipline is also good for the Christian community. Your boasting is not good It's perhaps a major understatement. So in addition to his concern for the salvation and wholeness of the individual Christian at Corinth, Paul is also concerned for the wholeness and salvation of the church. And we, as a church, and perhaps particularly as church members, need to realise that sometimes we have to take action for the good of a person and for the good of a fellowship. However difficult it may appear at the time. But again under the authority of scripture. Paul was probably writing these words in the build-up to the annual celebration of the feast of the Passover, and he reverts to the process of the Passover to clarify the point. One feature of the current Passover was the search and for the destruction of leaven before the festival began. And leaven in the The Bible is used to refer to something evil, which affects everything it touches. There is an exception in a couple of places in the New Testament where Jesus uses it in a different way. But generally, that's why it's used. And Paul uses yeast or leaven in dough to describe the effects of sin on a church body. You'll know yeast, yeast adds carbon dioxide uniformly to a lump of dough by a process of digestion. And you put just a small piece of yeast into the dough. And it will fill the whole dough with carbon dioxide and make a great big difference. Sin, if not dealt with, does the same thing. It eats away. It takes over the whole of the fellowship. And Paul here is talking about open sin. Each one of us has things that the Lord is dealing with them failures that we have and the bible reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god but the situation that paul is dealing with is that everybody knows about it and they accept it if it's not dealt with the enemy can start working in a pattern through the church if this person did this well everyone else says that's okay then we can do what we want to do it's nearly as bad as theirs but we'll be all right pretty soon we have a whole church filled with immorality And the gospel, which represents the way of escaping sin, becomes useless. If the wages of sin is tolerance by the body of believers instead of death, why then do we need salvation? Paul's not expecting perfect holiness or absolute purity. His plea is for sincerity, sincerity and truth. And that is where we need to be as a fellowship. Paul apparently had previously written to the church. He says there, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. We don't have that letter. One of, these, one of Paul's letters uh, was lost, and so we don't know really exactly what he said. But it's odd that he'd already spoken to them about this issue and they still carried on. It's almost that he could say to them, I told you so, I told you what would happen, and then they couldn't plead ignorance. Well, for ourselves, those of us who have heard God God's word and also know what God's way is, are without excuse. If God is putting His finger on something in our life, well, we can't just ignore it and say, "Well, we didn't know." Paul felt he needed to clarify things just a bit more. He said, "I'm not saying you should not associate with people of this world." In verse ten who are immoral, or greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. You notice he's trying to make it clear that sin is sin, whatever it is. But now I'm writing to you, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, a member of the church, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or idolater, or slanderer, or drunkard, or a swindler. Paul's trying to indicate the Christian is not expected to live... In a monastery. Like Jesus, we're expected to mix with those who are not saved and may have an immoral lifestyle. Our message is God loves you and doesn't want you to, dis- to, to suffer the consequences of your rebellion against Him. So He made a way to rescue you by His Son Jesus. That's not condemning, nor is it tolerant. It's the gospel. Paul reminds the church in verse 12 to put their own house in order and leave the rest to God. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church, he said. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Perhaps we take the word judge to be a bit strong. What he's saying is we need to deal with anything that is taking place inside the church. And with God's help, we can go out into the world and deal with the world. But we have a responsibility as a fellowship to be sure that we stick to the word of God. In Galatians 6.1, Paul wrote, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Of course, we can add the him, or the brother, the sister, the him and the her to this. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. The word restore means repair. When someone's caught in sin, the more mature Christian should try to repair the brother or sister, talk with them, share lovingly with them, encourage them to seek help and to seek God. That is always our first course, and that is what the fellowship is for. To encourage each other and help. In this case, though, no one was seeking to restore the brother. They were almost celebrating what was going on. Living with denotes a continual commission of sin, not a a one on a one-time act. Well, not an easy passage of scripture, but a clear passage of scripture is what we need to do as God's people as church members specifically. But in all this, we have the assurance that Jesus prayed the price for all sins. We sang at the beginning of our service, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, and we are. But we cannot go on condoning or even encouraging sin by not taking action where it is needed. Well, as we move through this year, looking at our relationship with God and the relationship within the life of the church, how we look at the way that we can grow together, what is reported about our fellowship? When people talk about Limfield United Reformed Church when we're not around, especially non-Christians, what do they say about us? If they pick up a newspaper, will we have made the headlines for the right or the wrong reason? if it would be hard for them to recognise us as Christians and different from the world, perhaps it's time for us to get back to the scripture. Well, we have a big God who needs to be the centre, a big God who cares for us and loves us, a big God who can take care of us and can guide us through any situation we may find ourselves. And we need to realise that. And we need to put God first. Finally, there is a happy ending. There is a happy ending. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul is probably talking about the same sinner, the same brother. When he pleads for the church to forgive and comfort this man who has now repented. What? they did was correct and it had the right result. This was not a passage I chose. It is a passage that we need to work through as we go through the letter to Corinthians. Amen.